0: morning storyline it is extra good to be together for me and so nice to be back i i want to thank jill for filling in for me last week i did give her two days notice so i don't know what she's (laughs) whining about but she did a great job as always and as so many of you pointed out right like i mean so many of you pointed this out right like i got i get the point okay I was starting to get a complex, in fact, with all the emails and texts I received, like, it was so fantastic, Mike. And then I thought, Mike, you're just being paranoid. Like, and then one of you, and this is, I just love storylines so much, okay? Look how delicate this person was with my feelings. One of you just said, just point blank, Mike, you better hurry back. <laughs> Thank you. Right. so here I am. Um, it's hard to believe it's December I cannot believe that. Can you believe it? December, Christmas is only three weeks away, giving me only, let's see, 19 days before I start Christmas shopping. Oh, (laughs) so the clock is ticking. But I'm super excited about this month here at Storyline. We're going to do some really cool things. The children are going to sing for us on the morning of the 18th. We have our Christmas party on the 22nd at the Solarium and Watermark. And then this year, we have a special Christmas Eve service on the 24th on Saturday. And so I think it's going to be great, super fun, really looking forward to it. And all month long, on our Sunday mornings, we're going to be looking at Christmas from a different perspective in ways that I hope will really help all of us, you know, see and celebrate it, maybe like never before. Now, it's no secret that the holidays can be the most difficult time of year, even in the best of times. It can be the most difficult time of year for a million reasons, right? So now more than ever, I hope that you're finding ways to take care of yourself. Last week, when I was so sick, I was reminded of how important that is. Like, because my life is about more than just me. I shared a few weeks ago that our son just got engaged, and his fiancée, Carly, who we just adore, was in town for Thanksgiving weekend, And I didn't get to see her at all. And then my daughter, Jenna, was back from grad school for Thanksgiving. I didn't get to see her either. And so I'm like talking to these people I love so much, like through a door, you know, closed up in a room. And um, I'm sure it didn't ruin their Thanksgiving, but it did ruin mine. Um, um, But it didn't ruin their Thanksgiving, maybe not to see me. But the point is, is that our lives are about much more than just us. And I think that when we have... situation like I had where you just can't be with people, you start to realize that more than maybe you do on a day-to-day basis. A few years ago, um, we did a talk about this entire idea, because I was so fascinated by this idea. It went like this. We should take care of our life like it belongs to someone we love, because it does. So I've been reflecting on this idea as I was sick, And it occurred to me that taking care of ourselves has more to do with Christmas than maybe we might realize at first. And so this morning, I'd like to look at how Christmas, God coming to us, God coming to earth for us, is all about how God wants to take care of us. A couple years ago, uh, a friend sent me this video, and I think it begins to get at this idea. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I love uh, these commercials from other countries because they don't use, they don't talk, (laughs) so we can use them. I think that's from Sweden. It's such a beautiful picture of someone taking care of themselves um, for someone that they love. And I love that idea uh, of taking care of ourselves as if our life belongs to someone else. And Christmas, as a reminder, that our life is not just about us it, it belongs to God and it belongs to the people that God has placed in our life so to dig into this question this morning how is God how is Christmas the way God is taking care of us that's what I want to look at so we need to begin if we're going to dig into that question a little bit by considering the predominant promise of Christmas And it might not be obvious to you until we start to look at the Bible and it's like, oh my gosh, this is the promise of Christmas. We hear it over and over again in the Old Testament of the Bible in words like these. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound. For the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love and my covenant of peace shall not be removed. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And, we will be call, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Peace is the primary promise of Christmas. And it appears again in the New Testament of the Bible when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, glory to God in the highest and peace to all men and women on earth. Jesus himself said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. The apostle Paul, the man who wrote most of the New Testament, encouraging new followers of Jesus, wrote this. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. This is the primary, it is the predominant promise of Christmas, peace. And it's not a stretch to say that it may also be the challenge of our time, of the time and place that we live in, a lack of peace in the world Maybe also even in our hearts. And the question is, why? Maybe you've heard this story about the little girl. She was about four years old, and um, she had a new baby brother that was born. And she began to ask her parents, can I be alone with him? I I need to talk to him. And they were worried, like, you know, many four-year-olds can get jealous of a newborn baby, and they're like, okay, does she want to harm him? Like, what's up with that? So they said no at first, but over time, it was clear that she didn't have any animosity or resentment toward him, and so they let her go into her baby brother's room while he was asleep, and they stood outside the door, eavesdropping in the hall, and her parents heard her whisper, baby, tell me what God feels like I'm starting to forget. See, even a four year old sees the heavenly peace on an infant sleeping. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, God as a baby, is the reminder that that's what God's precious peace feels like. And yet, in our real lives, that is so easy to forget, to lose, isn't it? Peace with God, peace with others peace with life, and maybe even being at peace with ourselves. There's a beautiful description of it in uh, one passage in the Bible. Don't worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks for what you have. And because you belong to Jesus, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. Love that so beautiful it's this idea that the peace of god is beyond our ability to even understand it transcends our ability to explain but it's this deep confidence at the end of the day in god's provision it's this it transcends circumstances like what's going on around us and that begins with christmas with god coming to us with god coming for us That is God on our side. So, why isn't that our real life experience more often? If this is true, if that's what Christmas is, if it's God on our side, if the primary promise of Christmas is peace, why does life so often feel more like this song?
1: Be so I grew up. There weren't many trees, but the ones we'd tear them down, there's a Can you take the time To throw a drum and man a line Peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound whose sons are living in the ground Peace on earth. Who's the wise who no one cries Like a mother cries For peace on earth She never got to say goodbye color Be on me.
0: As we grow older, we discover that all too often, that hope and history don't rhyme, that uh, we forget what God feels like, and the precious peace of mind, peace of heart, to say nothing of peace on earth, it just seems like a million miles away. I, I, we know that. It's just so we cannot live in denial of that. The question is, why? Where did that come from? How can that be? How can the promise of Christmas coexist with the reality that we live in day to day? Well, the Bible, uh, Bible scholars call it the fall, and I think we just call it <laughs> real life. The, there's little denying that the, a major theme in the story of humanity is this great turning away from God and turning towards ourselves and our plans. So we turn to many different ways of dealing with the fact that on the one hand, we love life, it's precious to us, and yet we at times can resent life uh, because life is not only precious, it's also precarious. It's so fragile. And we learn that, uh, unfortunately, in surprising, often fast and tragic ways. And so one of the central questions of history has been, how do we care for ourselves? How do we find peace in all this? in this gap, in this space between life being precious and yet precarious. And and so, you know, this is a precious yet precarious situation that we find ourselves in, and everyone's there. Now, In many respects, the history of the world, then, is the story of the many paths that people and individuals and cultures and societies have pursued in the search of peace knowing that we live in this gap between how precious life is and how precarious it is. The problem is is that so many of these paths that we've pursued on our own tragically often lead to just the opposite. So I'm gonna give some examples of some well-worn paths that uh, humanity has followed throughout the ages. So for example, the first one is entertained amusement. The ancient tyrants understood this just as much as anybody today. So you give the masses the bread and circuses. So in ancient Rome, that's what the gladiatorial games were about. Every time the populace got antsy, every time they got impatient, every time they were upset with the government or the status quo or the way things were, Caesar would suddenly throw a a new season of the gladiatorial games In the modern world, it's become one version or another of what they used to say in the '60s: "Tune in, turn on, drop out, entertained amusement." That's that's you know today. I mean, for goodness sakes, the NFL owns a day of the week. They own a day of the week, right? It's it's entertained amusement. That is definitely a path that many people have pursued in the search of peace. It's often just an, a kind of a version of disengaged distraction, might be another way to put it. Our current flavor in modern life, in the West at least, is screens. It's one version or another of screens, So streaming, gaming, shopping, Insta-tweeting, whatever it is that you're into, right? But there are all kinds of variants of screens that we sit in front of, and the cat is out of the bag, if you've watched the, seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix, it's, if you haven't, it's definitely worth watching. But the cat is out of the bag on the addictive nature of screens, like the dopamine cycle that is released in our brain and we're just addicted to it. But that doesn't stop us. Last year, I looked this up, it's on the internet, it has to be true, okay? The average American spent seven hours and four minutes a day in front of a screen. Seven hours and four minutes in front of a screen. But there are other paths, too, much older paths, like um, social prowess. This is a path for peace that people have placed hope in, you know, where status or reputation or prestige promise peace. Like, you know, We see this in honor-based cultures, maybe not as much in a, a culture like ours, where people are they're willing to die to save face or to kill to gain respect remember the first time that I kind of came up against that or I, I came in contact with that um, was when I lived in Los Angeles and I was working with some um, young men who were in gangs, 15, 16 years old, and it was clear to me that they were not at peace, that they knew something was bad wrong with life around them, maybe even in them, and they were more than willing to kill or to be killed for respect, or to gain respect, or to keep respect. And it, just, it kind of blew me away, because that was their path, maybe the one that they were reduced to, the only one they thought was available to them for peace. Another popular path is successful achievement. Like, if I could get, just get this, you know, we see this all the time, we, I'm, I struggle with this. If I could just get to this level, or that title, or this much money in the bank, that income, this dream house, that house, or this vacation, I can rearrange the pieces on the board of life in in my own personal universe in such a way that, you know, everything will be securely in hand. And and if if that's too small for us, you know, like um, we maybe think bigger and we dream bigger, it could be political utopianism. This one's been running rampant in the United States especially, but also in, in Western Europe in the last 10 years. If, you could, if we could just elect the right leader, like if we could just get this right and install the right kind of government with, who would come up with the obviously right arrangement of laws, rules, values, tax rates, don't forget that, and then everything would make sense. Everything would just fall into place and be magically delicious, and we could live in peace. That's a big one. It's been bigger in other eras of history. It's been, obviously, wars have been started over this, different versions of utopianism. But there there are also um, more mystical paths, not just, like, material paths. Like, uh, I, I think of it as magical thinking. Like, it's common in ancient cultures. It's easy to look back on ancient cultures that literally practiced magic. cast spells um, but it's still prevalent today it's just in more subtle forms i just read a poll that said one-third of americans say that they are very or somewhat superstitious whether it's you know apprehension about friday the 13th or full moons uh, knocking on wood not stepping on a crack you know still as adults right um uh, having a lucky charm Uh, these are all just all of those things are just a desperate grasp that, that like, if we can if we keep those superstitions, if we follow those, like, we can have some control in the uncontrollable world that we find ourselves in. And this gap between life's precious and it's so precarious. Don't step on a crack, <laughs> right? right? Don't carry a rabbit's foot. In her brilliant book, um, The Year of Magical Thinking, Joan Didion, who just passed away, Um, reflects on the death of her husband. Her husband kind of died suddenly, and it wrecked her. And so she talks about this year of grief, and obviously it's very understandable for her to be wrecked by this, but she also admitted this at one point. She said, there was a level on which I believe that what, what happened remained reversible. Remained reversible. And there it is, really. I mean, that is what all of these paths promise, precious peace in a precarious world through control, through some version of control that we have, which brings us to, I think, the the most well-worn path to peace. If you look at the whole scope of humanity, it's religious bargaining. This is the one, I mean, this path is a mile wide. (laughs) well-worn <laughs> grooves in this path and these are depending on which you know religious path you're on these are the rules to follow these are the rituals to reform these are the doctrines to hold those are the people to shame and exclude and when you get all of that right then god will be on your side then you're gonna you know then you'll be secure then you'll have peace now i have a lot of friends who can scoff at religious bargaining because they're not religious at all. Maybe they even look at that and they go, that's why I'm not, I don't believe in God at all. But you don't have to be officially religious to be deeply committed to religious bargaining or some form of it. If you haven't seen um, the documentary on HBO called The Vow, it is not, by the way, family-friendly viewing, um, but it is a stunning look at how like super-sophisticated, highly-intelligent, professional-savvy modern Americans fell into a cult, a really destructive cult. Now, it wasn't around spirituality per se. It's about around success and self-improvement and reaching your potential. But many people ended up being horribly damaged in this cult. And at one point, one of them is being interviewed for this documentary, and she stops talking to the interviewer, and she looks right into the camera. And she says, do you think it can't happen to you? Do you think this can't happen to you? Look, if it could happen to us, it could happen to anyone. And I was like, whoa. There are so many versions of religious bargaining that go on. I think probably the most common one is karma. I think we all live with a sense that there's something to karma, like you reap what you sow. Like This is why we love to see it when the villain gets caught, or worse, in a movie or in a book, right? When they find out karma is a bee. Like it's coming for you, right? If you're going to treat people like that. We also love it when we do good and good things happen back to us. And it's true, I'm not going to deny this, life is often, it does work that way. You often do reap what you sow to some extent, but let's make no mistake about it, okay? This is a form of religious bargaining when we think it's really like the law that dictates the universe. Uh -uh. And while it does seem to work on some levels, some of the time, it just makes sense. On many levels, you treat people well. They're probably gonna treat you well back. But at some point, it breaks down, and all you need to do is look around. If not in your own life right now, then look, look around at people very near you, probably in this room. Because I I can tell you right now, I was going to say five families, and I found out this morning now it's six families in storyline that really wonderful people that are just going through hell right now. Sometimes really horrible things happen to really wonderful people. So on many levels, we want karma to be true, but we know it's not. Or we know it's just limited to practical ways. It's not like a cosmic truth that governs the universe. Because we all know horrible things have happened to truly wonderful people. So karma, like all religious bargaining, is just a, it's just a slightly more sophisticated way, maybe a more acceptable form of magical thinking. That's what it is. So all of these man-made promises, all of our many paths to peace operate under some, I think, some really shaky assumptions about life. But assumptions that I live with, that just kind of go unquestioned, that I just assume are true, and I think maybe a lot of us do. Assumptions like this, like the universe or life owes me. Like, you know, I'm here, and so I'm owed some kind of decent, stable, secure peaceful life I think that's an assumption that we can just we enter into each day with sometimes or another assumption is you know life should be safe it should be predictable rewarding and fulfilling like that's the default setting for life that's just owed to us somehow maybe another one is there are things I can do and that's what all these paths are hinting at there are things that I can do that are in my control, that can make peace happen for me, that can, that can move me away from the precariousness of life and deliver me to this precious peace of life for me, around me, in me. And yet again, it just doesn't take long. History makes it clear, our own life experience, if, it, if your own life experience has not made this clear, then you're just not very old. It's one of the ways that you know you're young if life hasn't hit you upside the head yet, right? Or kicked you in the gut. Oh, man, I'm just so heartbroken for people when that happens. I spoke to someone this morning before the gathering. Just sudden tragic loss. These, history makes it clear. Our own life experience makes it clear. All of these paths are dead ends. They don't work. That's what I mean. Our quest for peace has time and again, tragically and ironically, proven to be anything but peaceful. Think about this. The greatest villains of history, this is just a short list, unfortunately, justified everything they did in the name of peace. Hitler wrote an entire book about the 3,000 years of peace he was going to usher into the earth. That's what Mein Kampf is about. Mao, same thing. Pol Pot, same thing. Stalin, same thing. The list just goes on and on. They all did just historic, murderous atrocities in the name of peace. You could make a very good case, and historians do, that often our conflicting versions of peace on earth is what prevents it, right? Or maybe your better way to think of it is like this. The ways we try to care for ourselves often exclude caring for others. Now, I don't want to oversimplify this. I'm not saying the opposite, okay? I always want to be careful. I'm not saying the opposite. I'm not suggesting that everything about these paths that I just laid out uh, that are bad. Achievement, success, honor, tradition, good government, vibrant religion. These can all be very, very good things. They're all, I would say, even a necessary part of a flourishing life, okay? Sports psychologists even tell us that superstition has its place in in high-performance sports like as a way to focus the mind and push out distractions to improve performance. For, for example, I used to dribble one time with my left hand and four times with my right hand before I shot a free throw. It worked 77% of the time. <laughs> That's not bad, right? So there you go, 77% of the time. By the way, I found this so fascinating when researching for this this week, that the harder something is, this, there is a lesson here, Listen to this. The harder something is in sports, the more superstition is attached to it. So for example, in baseball, the vast majority of players have some kind of ritual and superstition for hitting. And if you watch a baseball game closely, which no one I know of really does anymore, but let's say you did, okay, you were locked in a room and you had to watch baseball, let's say. All right, before every pitch, you see the batter stand in there, and they tug on this pant leg, fix this thing, hit their hat, touch their hat twice like this, and then they get up to hit like this. And here's why. This is what the researchers think they discovered. The reason there's so much superstition a- attached to hitting, and there's all these little ticks and all these little things they've got to fix their necklace and their shirt and this, that, and the other. The best it's because of this. hitting's really, really hard. It's really hard. Like the best in the world, if you can hit... Three out of ten times, if you get a hit, you can make millions of dollars. <laughs> Three out of ten. I wish it was, you know, I wish I could hit as well as I did to uh, shoot free throws. I'd be a bajillionaire, right? 30% of the time, you're, you're rich. But you know what researchers found out when they talk to baseball players? And they talk to them about defense. So like when they're out in the field, they've got their glove on, and they're waiting for the batter to hit. The guys with the gloves on, waiting to hit, almost none of them reported superstitions for about catching. Do you know why? It's really, really easy. <laughs> like the worst fielders, the worst catchers, if you will, in baseball, are successful 95% of the time. So there's no superstition attached to it. And I think at the bottom line, what happens is, when we look at how precious life is and how precarious it is, Hitting is precarious. Catching is easy. Well, life feels a whole, more, a whole lot more like hitting a baseball than it does like catching one. And so we're tempted to look for paths to peace that we can control, that will shrink this and maybe eliminate this gap between the, this precious peace that we're after in life and, and get rid of how precarious life can be. So just to be clear, f- faith in God's grace, trying to live of life in, live, live in God's grace and live out God's grace is not giving up on or disparaging these other aspects of life, these other paths that, of pursuit that I, I've talked about. But what it does do is it puts those paths in the proper perspective, like sports, screens, Achievement, success, vacations, rituals, religion, entertainment. They find their proper place in the life of faith. The life of faith relegates them to what they are, which are, are their ways to enhance and enjoy the grace of God. They're not ways to earn it or secure it. And there's a difference. There is such a big difference. Enjoying the grace of God requires peace. Attempting to earn the grace of God prevents it. It prevents it. And so two people can be doing the same thing. And one person is pursuing that path as a way to enjoy grace, as a gift of grace. And someone else might pr- be pursuing the same path as like a way to get it a way to get the peace of God and remove the precariousness of life. Whereas the other person who is pursuing that path just as a way to enjoy grace understands that life is still precarious. It's subtle, but such a powerful difference, and which is where I think this is exactly where Christmas comes in. Actually, it's where it breaks in, really. Because with the birth of God into the world, Christmas introduces a new way, a revolutionary way to be cared for and to experience peace. Because unlike all of these other paths that not only assume the universe owes us, that life should be safe and predictable and fulfilling and rewarding, and that there are things we can do to achieve personal peace, Christmas is the announcement that all at once acknowledges with stark-raving honesty that life is precious and precarious. It's both. That the universe is not only indifferent to our survival, it is many times hostile to our survival. Christmas breaks into that world, like our real world, our actual world, our real everyday lives to proclaim that there is no path for us to follow, to get to peace. But as the angel said, glory to God in the highest, there is a path peace takes to us. Christmas is the announcement that grace, the never-ending goodness of God, is why life exists. Grace, the unearned acceptance and overflowing affection of God, is the only way that life works. Grace, the unconditional forgiveness and eternal love of God for everyone, everywhere, every day, is where life is headed. Grace is the only path to peace because it is the path that God takes to us. So Christmas is, it's this historical event, this cosmic breaking and entering that demonstrates that the God of peace is on our side. Even when life is precarious. Accepting this, trusting in this, this is how God is taking care of us through Christmas. And and this part is so important to remember and to catch. It's also why God is taking care of us. It's not just so that we can find personal peace. He's taking care of us because like we said at the beginning, we belong to one another. Our life is not just about us. We belong to one another. So God is taking care of us to empower us to take care of others and one another, to take care of everything that really matters.
1: This is my winter song to you. Just like a distance
0: How God takes care of us. Because it is this living reminder, it's this historical event that love is alive and with us and for us. But Christmas is not just the opportunity to enjoy God's precious peace in this precarious place, it's also what the divine life looks like it's self giving, it's other centered. Making Christmas more than just our own private peace, but an, invita- an invitation to be the path of peace for others. I hope and pray that this season, we will all allow God to follow the path grace takes into our hearts, and, and to grant us that heavenly peace, and then through us, peace on earth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time and this place and for this opportunity to be together. We are all learning the hard way (laughs) that there is nothing we can do to make life safe, predictable, rewarding, fulfilling, because sometimes it just isn't. Help us to be okay when we're not okay. Remind us that Christmas, your path of grace to us, means we can have peace regardless of what's happening to us and around us and that your invitation is that we be peacemakers in the midst of that we thank you for coming to us we thank you for coming for us Uh, this week i want to lift up the class family who just lost a loved one god we pray that you would give them comfort and peace as they grieve and i pray that this week that you'll give us your eyes to see your ears to hear, your hands to serve, and your heart to love. As we leave, help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. It's good to see you.